Moses passes the torch to Joshua, but before he does, he completely torches the Israelites. And we play Biblical Hangman. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, this is Brandon, and we are pastors at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. Remember to like and subscribe to our YouTube, Facebook, all that kind of good stuff. Helps the gospel go out. What are we talking about today? We're talking about Deuteronomy Part 2. Again, Deuteronomy. It's an yeah. awesome book. Deuteronomy is going to get a little spicier. You know, yes. I, I, I do, like I said, there's not a whole lot of death and destruction in Deuteronomy. But there's depth. But, well, Joshua's coming. Judges is coming. There's going to be some juicy stuff. But this second half of the book is is very interesting. It is. A lot of theology. And, and De- like Moses just, he's not making friends at the end of this book. You know, I says some mean things. I feel like Moses just wasn't making friends ever since they, you know, got past the Red Sea. It was just all downhill. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he made <laughs> friends with God, of course. That's that's well. Big. That's I guess it's the only friend you need. Yeah, but he's he, he gets pretty intense at the end here. It's true. So we're gonna we're gonna look at it and. Maybe as you were reading the, this section, you were confused as to what was happening. Brandon, I feel like you would be friends with Moses. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope I something. would. I mean, he seems like a cool guy. But yeah, but yeah he definitely um, is not you know, super popular. He, w- he wouldn't have won a, a popular election today, that's for sure. Absolutely not. I mean, just Neither would I. for his opinions on the LGBTQ issues. Probably well, yeah, be, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. He's pretty backward. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we're going to get into this. So <laughs> last week... A good segue here. Last week we saw the first half of Deuteronomy. We saw Deuteronomy is a massively important book theologically and historically for Israel. Yep. In fact, some scholars have talked about the books following Deuteronomy as being Deuteronomistic history. Mm. It's a mouthful. No. But um, the, the idea is that really the books after Deuteronomy are so um, closely tied to what's being laid out in Deuteronomy, and there's so many connections that mm-hmm. it seems like it's it's as if somebody planned it, you know. Um, so well, you never know. I mean, I mean, did God plan it? Well, you know, that's just thought. sounds kind of like just a conspiracy thought. theorist to me. You know, you can but, take it or leave it. I mean, yeah. you know, God's word is kind of whatever. You know, just man wrote it, right? So it could be whatever. <laughs> Heresy. Heresy. Yes. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's planned, and so we see that unfolding in the books that follow. So Deuteronomy is really a constitution for the people of, mm-hmm. of Israel. And charter, I've heard it called before. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Moses' last words before he walks straight up that mountain mm-hmm. right into his grave. Um, mic drop so, moment, right? Mic drop moment of mm. epic proportions. Yep. So, yeah, so, so Deuteronomy is so important. It's going to interpret for us everything that's come before it, and it's going to look to everything that comes after yeah. it. So it's, it's, the end, it's the end cap, the, you know, the capstone of the, the Pentateuch. Yeah, I mean, we talked about last week that it's... Um, quarter, almost chapter for chapter, more than chapter for chapter in the New Testament, right? Yeah, so yeah, 44, 44 times. times, yeah. 34 chapters, but it's quoted 44 times. So very, very important book. So um, we're going to go get back in right in the middle of the law section. Mm-hmm. So what I said last week was that um, this, this law section is not a bunch of random laws, but starting in chapter 12, we have the Ten Commandments being expounded upon or right. exposited. So different sections of the book correspond to different different uh, commandments. Right. And, and you know, all credit to my professor, Admiral Chow, who first taught me this idea. It's been very helpful for me to understand what this book is about, to piece it together, mm-hmm. and to see how the laws 
fit under those broader headings. Right. So we're going to see that a little bit today. So we're jumping in in chapter 19. And chapter 19, verse 1, starts the section that is expounding the sixth commandment. Mm-hmm. So this is all about murder. And really, what we're going to see is for every negative command in the law, there's also a positive implication to that. So for, so when the Bible says, thou shalt not murder, right? when that's the command given, it's not enough in following that command to just not murder. Right. You have to also value life. Right in every aspect of how you conduct yourself. Right. So every area of life shows a respect for and a value to life. Mm-hmm. So that's, and then we're gonna see in the section on the seventh commandment about adultery, that you have to positively value purity. Right. It's not enough to just not cheat on your wife. Right. <laughs> you have to, in every aspect of your life, and it's not even just an exclusively sexual thing. Mm-hmm. Purity is, is displayed in how we do ordinary things in our lives. Yeah, like work or just the choices that you make and the things you do around your house. Like That's right. You know. So that's what we're going to see as we go through these sections. But So 19 verse 1 to 21, 23 is all about the sixth commandment. So a couple chapters here that are, are bringing out how do we value life? How mm-hmm. do we protect life? And there's some really interesting things here. In, in chapter 20, what you have is Moses gives them laws for how they engage in warfare. So he, he tells them in verses 5 and following that basically when you go to war, the officers should say to the people um, that are going to war, is there any man who's built a new house and hasn't dedicated it? Let him go back to his house lest he die in battle. Or a wife, right? Right, yeah. yeah does anyone ha- you know, have a new vineyard or didn't have a new wife? Go back and... So in other words, giving people an, an out in times of war. Right. It's a pretty interesting thing. So to say there's other aspects of life that that matter as well. Mm -hmm. And so to to prioritize and to value those and to not let war become all-consuming. Yeah, and even the value of enemies, right? Yeah. Like you see that, don't destroy the trees, you know, um, by wielding acts against them. You may eat from them, right? So you can, yeah, if you're sieging a city, you can eat from it and use it, but don't destroy that land, right? Yes, so don't, no no total war, no scorched earth um, kind of idea. So he goes on in verse 20 in that section to say, only the trees that you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you. So he's saying, Mm -hmm. even how you treat the land around you should have in mind how to value life, right? So if if you're taking over a land, as God's commanding you to do, but you completely devastate the ecology, is that the right word? Right, the, yeah, the sure. ecosystem um, of the land, then you're going to destroy life in the process in a way that's, that's not helpful. Right. So you might have to go to war because God's commanding you, but don't destroy plants that are beneficial for food. Right. So it's not that God is a, a tree hugger here per se. He's saying you can cut down trees, but va- like prioritize the ones, value the ones that provide food right. for others. Yeah. So it's a very interesting principle, which is how do you. Uh, promote flourishing in every area of your life, even when you're going to war. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's very intentional, very thought out. And then in chapter 21, we have all these laws about um, the land, right? It starts off in chapter 21 talking about the land that God has given to you. And what do you do if there's been a death in the land? Mm -hmm. And the land is now cursed or corrupted because of that death. And so you have to make atonement in a specific way. You have to acknowledge the guilt and you have to you have to offer a sacrifice and all these things. Right. And at the end of that chapter, you have some really famous verses 
that are very strange to us. And it's about Hangman, like, like you mentioned, <laughs> right? So this is, this is about Hangman here, biblical Hangman. Um, verses 22. We, we laugh at maybe the wrong things. I don't know. We probably do. We should yeah. reel that in a little bit. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, verse 22 of chapter 21 says, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So we see that that idea of land at the end of this chapter as well. So what's going on here? Well, it, the land has a curse on it mm-hmm. if a, a capital crime has been committed. And so you have to atone for that by punishing the guilty party. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough just to hang them, as that would be the, the punishment, but you have to actually bury them. Mm-hmm. So it's in the act of burying, taking that person off of, in this case, it would be an, you know, an impalement stick, right? Mm-hmm. You impale someone on that stick. That would be the m- mode of punishment back then. You have to bury them in the ground so that the curse is put away and done away with. So what would happen if that body's left out to hang, as they did in, in ancient times very often, is, not to be gruesome, but animals would you know, eat parts of the yeah. body, and that means the curse would be spread over the entire land. Right. So instead he's saying to, to bury it. So there's a very specific way you deal with death, with life, and even the way that you, you know, execute someone who's guilty of a crime right. has to reflect the value of life. And in this sense, it's, it's hinting towards something we'll look at later, but how curse is dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting idea. So it, then in chapter 21, we get into the section on the seventh commandment about um, not committing adultery. So mm-hmm. chapter 22, verse 1 to 23, 18 is all about the, the seventh commandment. And the idea here, as I said, is it's not just don't cheat on your wife, although that's pretty that's fundamental. It's a great, great rule, yeah. That's a good rule, yeah. It's value purity. It's value purity. And we can see it, it kind of helps us to understand some of the things that we see in this section, one of the most famous verses that's very, you know, uh, controversial today is, is Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, which says, a, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So, you know, lots of questions there. I was talking about cross-dressing, right? Right. In the context, it's obviously about purity. So the way that you dress yourself should show clearly what gender you belong to, right? Whether you're male or female. Well, there's, a, there's no doubt that the clothes that we wear speak to an identity or a people group or a you know a you know camp of people that we belong to, right? Even if it's just a bigger unconscious cultural sense, like we wear Levi's jeans, you know, or whatever, yeah. blue jeans, you know. Why doesn't everyone wear pink jeans? Well, <laughs> it points to something, right? So, in a broad sense or a specific sense. Like we should be fitting into the categories of male and female that are part of a culture to some degree. Yeah, no. yeah. It's in, in every way that it's you know honoring to God, it's not sinful. All those things right. we should, you know, be able, people should be able to see that you are male or female. Right. We should want people to know, um, you know, how God has made us. I guess you could say, right? Right. So obviously appropriately, and obviously culture can warp that and twist it. And culture changes, right? Like pants now are not exclusively male piece of right. clothing sure fine, one, time yeah. they, one time they were but um nor is dress always you know strictly female you know so 
Kilts, man. Kilts. Oh, kilts. Okay. God, my word. That's oh, your... sorry. I'm like... Oh, wait. You're not Scottish. You're Irish, right? I'm Irish. Yeah, we don't do that kind of stuff. <sighs> well, that's why you didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. Um, and then, just moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> chapter 22, verse 9. We you know, mentioned this before, but verse 9, he says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crop that you have sown in the yield of the vineyard, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. Everyone's wondering what, why yeah. these laws are here. But can you see in the context of the sixth commandment, what he's talking about here is that the way you, you operate in your business, the way you operate in the fields, the way mm-hmm. you, um, the kind of uh, you know, material you sell, all that should display purity. Right. So there's certain practices that they, they need to, to observe in order to demonstrate purity. Mm-hmm. In every area of life, so that's kind of that's one of the main focuses, foci, foci, uh, of, of this section. But chapter twenty-three also kind of builds on this in in verse fourteen, which one, one of the most important verses here. No one whose testicles are crushed or Whoa, whose male organ is not, cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Is that the one you're talking about? No, that's not. But that also in in terms of purity, right? Worship. Right. I know it's weird, but uh, <laughs> purity is very important, right? Chapter 23, verse 1. I was going to talk about the, the poop verse that we like so oh, much, Oh, right? that's a great verse, too. 23, okay. 14, right? Because yeah, the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. Oh, wait, sorry. It says before that, right, when you go, number 2, mm-hmm. verse 13, you shall have a trowel in your tools, and when you sit down outside, dig a hole with it and turn back over and cover up your excrement because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. Yeah, so poop outside the so, camp and bury it. Poop, bury it, take care of it. This is where the yeah. park rangers got the rule from. Yeah, yeah. But, this right here. Yeah, they never thought of that before. This. Yeah. But uh, but the, but the whole idea, right? <laughs> to all humor aside, is that the way you you conduct your life has to demonstrate purity, right? In in every aspect. So I think it's easy to look at like, you know, the laws in Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch, and you know, be overburdened with, oh, I have to do all this, or I have to do this, or I can't do that. You know, it's like know that God's law is good and it's pointing to human flourishing. I think that's something that should be in the back of your head whenever there's commands from God. It's for the well-being of humans. It's not for the restriction of human flourishing. It's it's for the, you know, enablement of human flourishing, I think. Absolutely. And we've talked Absolutely. about it before, but I think that's a great reminder to always be thinking through, like, God's intent with the law. Yeah, and of course, so. we talked about, you know, not all these laws apply specifically Correct. to us. The principles do, the though. The poop one do. Yeah, the po- yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. The you know the focus that I want to have is what are these what are the principles and as you understand Deuteronomy in this context you can see these principles being drawn out right and it helps us to think about how we should apply that in our own lives uh, you get I mean you get into the eighth commandment in chapter twenty three verse nineteen there's a switch to the eighth commandment which is do not steal right thou shalt not steal and the the positive aspect of that is be generous. Mm-hmm. Right? Be a generous person. Work hard. Give to others. So verse 19 starts off, right? Don't charge interest on loans to your brother. So if someone's part of the people of Israel, be generous to them. Don't try to exact you know, interest from them on a loan. Right. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's a generous disposition here. If you make a vow to God, pay it. Mm-hmm. If you're in your neighbor's field, there's, there was an allowance that you could eat grapes or you eat something off of, off right. of his field. Don't bring the sick there was, you know, there was some, they, he needs to be generous to you, but don't bring a bag with you and fill it up. Yeah, so, don't take advantage, right? Yeah, so yeah. don't, he needs to be generous, but you need to be, you need to be generous as well and not yeah. be taking from your neighbor 
and harming them. So, so we see this, this idea of um, not stealing, right, and, and being generous. And you see these, like, different things echo throughout the whole Old Testament, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of the Proverbs, like, don't linger in your neighbor's house too long, <laughs> unless he hate you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't take advantage. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then in chapter 24, verse 16, it moves into the, the ninth commandment. And then in, and that goes to 25, verse 3. Mm-hmm. And then in 25, 4 to verse 19, there's a focus on the 10th the commandment. Mm. So, and we could get into that more, but, but the base, that's the basic overview of the structure of the law. And so as you're reading that, maybe you go back and, and peruse that again, but there's, um, there's so much detail here in so many ways that God wants us to see our place and, and how we honor him right, through, through his law. There's specifics that are given, and we should also think carefully and critically as Christians about how we follow God's law. Yeah. In every area of life. Yeah, amen. Yeah. This is this is loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, right? Right. That's what this is all about. Yeah. Yeah. We're not condemned by the law, but we're set free through Jesus Christ, but we still are striving to be obedient to the law, right? Yeah. So okay. So we get into chapter twenty seven and we have some mountains. Tell me about these mountains, Brandon. Yeah, so what what happens is um, Moses gives them blessings and curses mm-hmm. so now they have finished the law so we've moved from that section which ends in 26 and we now see um the the altar that's going to be on mount ebal so what happened when they come into the, the promised land is the people would split into two different groups so different tribes would be on one mountain and one on the other so ebal on one side gerizim on the other and it's easy to remember because uh, basically what God's going to do is going to have one side read curses and one <laughs> side read blessings. Now, if you hear the words Gerizim and Ebal, which do you think is going to be the bad one? Hmm. What sounds kind of Ebal? Just saying. I think you just change one letter and it makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I'm a simple-minded person, <laughs> right? But, so Ebal. Ebal is evil. Yeah. Um, Gerizim is not nice. It's happy, happy place. Gerizim. So, what, what could that relate to? I don't know. Don't really care. But um, <laughs> so what happens is the people from one mountain would yell out all the way to the other ones the blessings, and then from the other side they yell out the, the curses. I've actually been to this location, and we, we did this. It was really, really kind of weird. But um, so you, that, that's kind of the idea. And so what we see in this chapter is he lays out the curses to be read on Mount Ebal, mm. right? So verses 9 and following Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother. Cursed, 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 cursed. Right. Okay, so what about the blessings? So, yeah, so where? So the blessings from Mount Gerizim are not here. Interesting. Why? Uh, so it's very strange, but it, it seems like there's possibly there's no possibility that they're actually going to do the things that uh, that are good, right? That seems mm. to be maybe the implication that this law, the law of Moses, is only going to bring them curse because they have no ability to follow it. Right. So the stage is being set for what's going to happen the rest of the end of the book, which is this law will bring them curse. Mm. This will destroy them. Right. And we see, so we don't have the curse signs, but we do have blessings for obedience in chapter 28 followed by curses for disobedience mm-hmm. so these are kind of what will happen to you if you were to follow the law right and one thing that's notable is we could go through this very very detailed but what's very noticeable and should be obvious to anyone reading it is that 
the blessings are about, it's about what, 15 verses, 14 verses, while the curses are like, on my, for me, it's like three full pages. Right. It's like 50 something verses. So it's like three, three or more times as many curses for disobedience as blessings for obedience. Right. So again, the accent mark, the, the emphasis is on curse. Mm-hmm. I want to really make sure you know just how cursed you're going to be when right. you disobey. And the blessings and curses both talk to the speak to the totality of life. Hmm. You know, verses verses uh, chapter twenty eight verses one through six, we see these blessings. Right, verse three: Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the increase of your flock or the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. These are all, uh, you know, um, I forget the term is, but they're speaking to the totality of life, right? One thing and the other. When you go in and when you go out, that means all the time. When you go to war, you're going to be victorious. Yeah. And then the same thing with the cursing, right? (laughs) Curse shall be every single part of your life, and God's going to take you captive, bring you to a foreign land, and you'll be slaves there. Hmm. So these are, I mean, these are very intense things. And one of the big ideas here is actually in verse 47 of chapter 28, where it says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance, the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you. And basically what he's saying is, the reason why this is going to happen is because you didn't love God, mm-hmm. you didn't, uh, you didn't weren't thankful, right. you didn't enjoy God, because you didn't have joy in your heart. This is what's going to happen to you. Right. So it's again, Jeremy's it, going back and again and again to it's the heart condition that is primary. Right. Do you love God? Do you remember God and what He's done for you? Mm. If not, you're gonna you're gonna be led into destruction. It makes sense. I mean, and it makes sense in small ways. Like God's trying to teach him this throughout the whole law that if you are obedient, you'll be blessed and you'll have a relationship with God. But I always thought it was harsh to have laws like, oh, if you have a disobedient child and he refuses to obey, take him out and stone him, right, by all the men of the house. And it makes sense. Like Israel, and God is teaching his people Israel to be obedient to their authorities and to be obedient to ultimately to God. And if you don't, it leads to death, right? Yeah. It leads to destruction. So. Makes yeah. sense. And and really if you if you are offended by the the implementation of the law, I can give you some comfort in that basically it's never followed. So, <laughs> so no one's no one's dying for these crimes. They're dying for other, you know, much worse reasons. Right. But the law is no it's just never really followed. Right. Um so yeah, but but we see, you know, we see this in this chapter, but he's saying verse sixty, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt. Mm. So all the cur- all the plagues that happened in Egypt will come upon you, and he goes on to say, um, verse sixty three, as the Lord took crazy. delight in doing you good and multiplying, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, hmm. and you shall be plucked off the land that you were entering to take possession of it. So God's going to destroy you. He's going to scatter you. He's going to bring you to a distant land. In fact, he says in, in verse 68, the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, mm. a journey I promised you should never make again, and there you shall offer yourself for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but, but there will you. be no buyer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it's going to be so desperate. You're going to make that journey back, the one they've been wanting to make this whole time, right? right. Let's sinful. go back to Egypt. There's fish, you know? And, and yeah, you're not going to be able to find any way out of God's curse. Mm-hmm. So this is, I mean, this is heavy, heavy stuff that he's warning them about. 
And so the question that we're left with as we get to the end of the book is, will Israel be obedient or not? Will they be obedient? And the answer that, that God gives in the end is a resounding no. Yep. It's so explicit. It's so clear, right? Look at chapter 29, verse 4. He goes on to say, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. God hasn't given you what you need right. in terms of the spiritual condition of your heart. God's been teaching them this. They're lacking something. Mm. Their heart is stone. They, they don't see, they don't hear, they don't care. Right? And we see this in the ministry of Jesus as well. People are still in that state and mm. of rebellion against God, and they need God to do something right. to make them new. Yeah. And then we, he goes on in uh, verses 14 to 15. He says, um, this is very important. He says, it's not with you alone I'm making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God mm. and with whoever is not here with us today. Interesting. So again, he's emphasizing what he emphasized back in uh, was it chapter 4, where he was talking about, or chapter 5, right? It's not just with your fathers I made this covenant, it's with you. And he's saying to the, your descendants after you, this is an right. ongoing covenant right. um, to generations. But, but he says there's going to be this root that springs up, a poisonous root, that contaminates the entire nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then in verse chapter 30, he goes into great detail about what's going to happen to them. So he says in chapter 30, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. Notice that language. <laughs> both. <laughs> well, both, and it's not if, yeah. it's when, right? <laughs> when all this happens, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has dri- driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore mm. your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. What an offer of grace, huh? Yeah, and then he goes on verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Th- this is the, the hope they have. Right. That everything is going to come upon them, the blessing and the curse, they're going to be taken away in slavery but God is going to bring them back and do something, do a new work mm-hmm. that will actually give them what they need yep. to know God and to follow Him. Yep, Amen. And so they're, I mean, they're going to wait for a very, very long time before that happens. So, so in chapter thirty-one, we see that uh, Moses um, is starting to pass the baton to to Joshua, mm-hmm. right? So he he encourages Joshua, right. tells him to be strong and courageous, yep. um, gives him that pep talk. And then Moses is getting ready to, to, to kind of wind down his life and end, and so he writes, he's going to write a song. Right. Yeah, so what's this song about? It's a really long song. It's, it's a long, long song. And it's, um, I mean, I don't want to say comical, but it's kind of funny. I think we should see if Caleb can set this song to music, and we can sing this <laughs> on Sunday. And we'll, we'll just freak out everyone who comes that to church. That would be the amazing. Weirdest, weirdest thing ever. Great evangelistic tool, right? Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, so what? So God actually tells Moses to write this song, and he tells him why to write this song. So back in chapter 31, he says in, uh, in verse 19, he says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. <laughs> okay? For, for when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise mm. me and break my covenant. 
So he says, write this song to be a witness against them because they absolutely 100% guaranteed will disobey me. <laughs> and this will be a reminder to them of, of that this is part of my plan. I know this is going to happen, right? I'm fully in control and it will convict them and bring them back to me. Mm. So he says in verse 27, for I, this is now Moses speaking, but he says, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? <laughs> and in verse 29, for I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking mm. him to anger through the work of your hands. Can you imagine if this was like your last sermon as a, as a pastor? You've been so over Amazing. 40 years and you're like, you guys are terrible. You're going to be worse when I leave. I, I, like, I hate you so much. I hope John yeah. MacArthur does this. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So the, the song that he writes in chapter 32, we won't go through it all, but basically what he's, what he's saying in this song is God is faithful. You've been rebellious. You're going to be rebellious again. Right. Um, you know, one of the famous uh, quotes from this passage is in verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. A little Jonathan Edwards shout out. Yeah, that, that's what he based his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, off of. And they will fail. That's one of the big messages. They will fail. But God is working in history to, even in the midst of their sin, to work their redemption. Yeah. That's what, that's what and again, that goes back to Genesis, right? Which right. is man's sins. You see the story of Joseph. God is bringing good out of man's evil. He's yeah. going to work in a certain way, but it will come at, at, for Israel at a great price. Right. They're going to have a very, very rough history. Right. I mean, I love the, the amount of blessing that's, that's lumped in with this judgment. You know, we think of God's judgment as not good, right? At, at least in our culture, I think. And there's, you, if you're carefully reading this, so you're looking at the depth of what's happening here. In the midst of this judgment is such love from God for his people to live rightly and to be close with him. That there has to be judgment that's satisfied. That even if there's judgment on his people, even if there are bad things that happen to his people, God's plan is still to restore his people, right? Yeah. And that's such an awesome message, right? And it's just an awesome message of hope that I, I think it just gets overlooked at a lot of different churches. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. That God, and then God's control is so central mm-hmm. to understanding God's work that He's He's in control and He He has a plan, right? Mm-hmm. He allows evil into the world. In order to accomplish something greater, yeah, um, I see, you know, verse thirty-nine. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no other God. There's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Hmm. This is the song He's given to them, right? To remember, He is supreme, right? And if that if that confuses you, I mean, obviously, there's a lot we could talk about in terms of this idea of God's choice, God's sovereignty. His election, as we see in the New Testament, um, there is—I mean, there is a really famous verse that we we didn't touch on, but in chapter twenty-nine, verse twenty-nine, we have a super famous verse, which is the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, hmm. that we may do all the words of this law. Right. Such an important principle, which is that God has revealed certain things, and those are the things that we need to to you know spend time and focus on yeah, and land know on. and apply. Yeah. And there are things that are hidden from us that we can never fully know. Right. And that's one of the one of the key verses to understanding this idea of God's sovereignty is that there are things about God's sovereignty that we do not understand this side of eternity. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Election. Why didn't you know? 
God just make things right right at the garden? Why is why does it have to be this course of redemptive history? You know, all those questions are unanswered for us in yeah. detail. Yep, exactly. So, but we can trust that God is good in those, and that He has a plan through those. Right? Amen. So, Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, chapter 30, 33, He gives His final blessing to the to the tribes, mm-hmm. and um, and he, he says in verse twenty nine, "Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, right. the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs." So, there's a note of hope. Mm-hmm. He's again. He's looking at the entire history. It's going to get really dark, really bad. But you have to understand that there's hope at the end of it. Right. That the prophet, like Moses, will come. That the true King will come. That salvation will come through the seed of the woman. Yeah, that you will be uncircumcised finally in your heart, and you'll be able to obey God. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So, and then we see at the end, jo- Moses dies, and so Joshua is taking over. The people are on the edge of the promised land. They're ready to go in and conquer, and that's where we're left. We're left, and we're going to get into that in the book of, of Joshua yeah. next week. Well, that's, yeah, that's all the chapters in Deuteronomy. How does the gospel connect with this? What is the good, how is the good news of Jesus Christ shown to us here in these passages? Well, I mean, there's so many things. So one of the big things we saw, obviously, is the emphasis on curse. Right. And Moses on this mountain giving this final address to God's people and saying, cursed shall you be cursed, cursed, mm-hmm. cursed. So much cursing and so little hope for blessing, it right. seems like. And so you understand the importance of when a new prophet, the prophet like Moses, gets up onto a mountain in in, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and his first word is blessed. Mm -hmm. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, uh, He just, that's all he has is blessing. (laughs) And so Jesus is bringing the the better, uh, the fulfillment of this covenant because he's going to do the work for us. And so he's taken the curse and left for us only blessing if we trust in him. Mm. I mean, that should just be one of the most obvious things. Right. All of this text points so clearly to our need for Jesus as well. I mean, think about Romans chapter 8, just the whole idea of the law and the need to fulfill it and the fact that we can't fulfill it. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemns sin in the flesh mm. in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Yeah, invitation is awesome. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Mm. I mean, the Israelites would have given anything to know that truth. Right. That God was going to find a way to fulfill the law for them, that they couldn't carry that burden. They were unable to, and so are we. Right. But this brings resolution that Jesus can fulfill that requirement in us. Right. We also, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, we continue to hear echoes of the New, or I guess the, when we read the New Testament, we hear echoes of Deuteronomy. But again, when you're reading Deuteronomy, and if you know the New Testament, you're going to hear things that are in the New Testament a lot. And I think yeah. we see that in um, uh, Curses One and Hangs on the Tree, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. That phrase is so important. In fact, whenever you hear the, the authors of Scripture speaking about Jesus dying on a tree, mm-hmm. It echoes back to that. So Peter right. Peter mentions that, and of course Paul does as well. Mm-hmm. Why tree when right. it's a cross? I always wondered that as a kid. Right. Well, it's, it's made from a tree. Well, it still seems kind of weird to me. Right. The idea was it's echoing back to Deuteronomy 21. Mm. In other words, the idea of, of the curse, right, that there's a curse that's bigger than just the curse on that 
specific area of land in Israel. Right. There's a curse that extends to the entire creation right. that needs to be dealt with. Right. And Galatians points to this. Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, that's, that's us. We're cursed. Yep. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Mm-hmm. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, mm. so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we may receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. So the idea of Jesus dying on the cross is that he is the embodiment of that cursed man, mm-hmm. of that man who is paying for his own sins, but Jesus isn't paying for his own sins. Right. And so when he dies on the cross, he is he is taking the curse of the world upon him. Right. And when he's placed in the ground, the curse is gone. Right. Amen. I mean, this is a comprehensive act that Jesus is doing that removes curse in a real sense. Uh, for eternity yeah. and, and and paves the way for salvation. Yeah, and it's the only way that that man can be rid of sin. The Absolutely. only way. Absolutely. So so yeah. So the what we hear in the law of the cursing. This makes sense of why Jesus comes and says blessing, blessed, yeah. right? blessed are are these people because he's making a way to remove the curse forever. Amen. And then of course we do see some some you know talk in the in the Old Testament and New Testament about this circumcision of the heart that will be done by God. Right. That God will cut off the old old person that he will remove the heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh. He'll he'll do a heart transplant. He'll right. make he'll do heart surgery for us and make us new. We see that in Ezekiel 36, mm-hmm. Romans chapter 2. Mm-hmm. We don't have much time to get into it, but big, big ideas that point us to Jesus and how good and great he is. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all we got for Deuteronomy. Um, hope you've enjoyed and been uh, edified and encouraged with the gospel. There's a lot. There's so much good stuff. So I encourage you guys to go back and reread as well and, and just to soak up the goodness um, of these Old Testament books. So thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week.